Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in an era of stakeholder capitalism. Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright, who talks with business leaders and experts about their experiences in charting a new direction toward his commercial success and greater societal impact. Our special guest today is Brendan O'Dwyer, full professor chair of accounting at the University of Amsterdam Business School and the Alliance Manchester Business School, University of Manchester. He is an academic expert in the areas of ESG reporting and assurance. His most recent work examines the emergence and impact of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, and international standardization efforts in sustainability reporting. His research is highly cited and has won several international awards and honors. Rob and Brendan are here to talk about how developments and challenges in environmental accounting are steering the green agenda. Over to you, Rob. Thank you, Vaidehi. Warm welcome to you, Brendan. Thanks so much for joining us today uh, to talk about how we can help keep businesses honest over their commitments and actions on sustainability targets. Well, let's start with this concept of sustainability accounting. Maybe you could just unpack that for our listeners, Brendan. What is it? What is it? What does it mean f- in practice for the business community? Uh, thank you, Rob, and thank you for the invite uh, onto your uh, esteemed podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Um, so Sustainability accounting is a term which is now being bandied around quite a lot, as you've mentioned, and many people are interpreting it in different ways right now, Rob, but I'll give you my interpretation, and it's very simple. It involves accounting for the social and environmental impacts of entity activities. Simple as that. Now, I would get a lot of criticism for that definition, even though it's only one sentence from various quarters in different constituencies right now, but that's how I see sustainability accounting in very simple terms companies and other entities accounting for their impacts socially and environmentally. And that goes right back to my history. Thank you, Brendan. What does it mean for the companies in practice? What, what's, what sort of requirements does it place on those companies? It basically involves assessing the extent to which different business activities are impacting on different stakeholders, not just the investment community. We're talking about employees, communities, we're talking about um, uh, government bodies, etc. What is the broad impact of your activities in general on these particular areas? And you're reporting and accounting for those impacts. And that isn't always going to involve you being able to measure those impacts, but you're trying to report in some way on how those impacts are uh, evolving as you see them in, in, in a business organisation. And why, why is this important, um, you know, in the field of, of getting our agenda right on sustainability? Well, it's hugely important because uh, businesses, as we know, don't exist in isolation, number one. Number two, it's hugely important because we're now dealing with a environment, both a regulatory environment and a general political environment, whereby demands on businesses to actually embrace broader impacts are growing daily. Um, Whether in fact businesses are always open to that engagement is questionable, but it's unavoidable. And this has been building particularly in the past, I think, seven to eight years through also younger individuals coming into business, seeking greater knowledge of and working for businesses who offer greater impact. And I see this myself in my uh, work as an academic and with students I engage with. So there's a societal pressure, political pressure, and now, very importantly in the European context in particular, a regulatory pressure to report on these impacts. And that that pressure, that, that important pressure, you know, translates or should translate therefore into companies taking certain actions. But then 
I guess for us, public at large, uh, shareholders, they want some confidence in, in the numbers and the, and the accuracy of the reporting going on. We hear a lot about this term greenwashing, for example, companies adhering to the green agenda, perhaps in name only. How much of a problem is that in, in industry still, do you think? My own view is that it's an exceptionally huge problem. Um, and it's a perception problem and a performance problem. And it's a problem which has been existing for 20, 25 years since all this form of sustainability accounting started emerging through different frameworks and through different government and, and um, private sector initiatives. Um, the, the response always is we need assurance. This information gets reported by companies. Let's bring in the auditors. Rob, you've got, you've got a lot of experience in investigating, let's say, dubious activities in practice. Well, in the context of sustainability reporting and sustainability accounting, assurance is something which has been called for more and more because of, of the issues around, around um, so-called greenwashing. Um, and I'm always reluctant to use the word greenwashing because it's such a broad term in terms of what's happening in terms of reporting and the reporting performance gap. But... One thing I will say about this demand for assurance in order to alleviate greenwashing is the discussions now we're seeing around assurance um, reflect, in my view, an ignorance of what's gone on in the past in this particular area. Because people are now talking about limited reasonable assurance on this vast form of information. But in fact, it's as if this is a new issue, a new thing. Assurance in this area has been evolving for 20, 25 years. It's gone through peaks and troughs. It's gone through problematic processes. It's gone through situations where private sector entities have formed small consultancies to produce too much assurance. It's gone through situations where big four firms have gobbled up many of these smaller entities and themselves taken over and driven the market. But now many of the conversations I hear are about, well, we need assurance in this area and it's going to be required by EU regulation. When in fact, there's a whole history of assurance and problems with assurance that need to be addressed and seen for what they are first. So on greenwashing, assurance is absolutely crucial, but assurance itself may well be an issue as well in terms of the type, the nature and all also the level of assurance that can be provided. You've talked about the peaks and troughs that, that we've been on on this journey for the last 20 years or so. Uh, are we getting to a better point now? I mean, what's what's been the most significant developments um, in, in recent times that you think you know is pushing us now in the right direction? There are a number of developments occurring um, and there are different viewpoints on whether they're pushing us in the right direction. Um, the re most recent developments are occurring at the regulatory level with the, uh, with the um, EU taxonomy and now the EU producing their um, sustainability reporting directive, which is requiring certain entities to actually report on environmental, social and governance issues. And then at the same time, you have the formation of the International Sustainability Standards Board, under the auspices of the IFRS Foundation, whereby the accounting profession is taking on its view of so-called sustainability reporting and issuing standards there. And these are all responses for comparability, consistency, verifiability, reliability. But these initiatives are driving a lot of what's happening now and are driving the pressures companies are feeling. Unfortunately, these initiatives are not always going in the same direction. In fact, both initiatives would have a very different view on a definition of sustainability accounting, the definition I gave to you at the very beginning of our conversation. But there, there, there's a lot of alignment going on now in the background, and there are obviously, as in all of these issues, uh, political factors in the background too. But these are driving a lot of what's happening right now. And in particular, the regulation out of Europe is going to be very, very influential, as even as 
even if you're a US-based company, if you've got, I think it's over 150 million euro of revenue generated in the European context and more than one subsidiary, I have to check that, you need to be reporting against this regulation. So it's, it's, it's incredibly um, uh, important in terms of driving what's happening right now. As well as general consumer sentiment. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, Brendan, but a lot of that agenda has been shaped, I guess, by by one of the foremost developments, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Um, I know you've been involved in that. What What's the story behind the Task Force, and has it helped to promote, um, a, you know, a better sense of of getting this right? Do you think the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures has sought to mimic the Enhanced Disclosure Task Force? which came out in 2012 with recommendations on risk disclosures for banks post the financial crisis around 2007-2008. Mark Carney was a big instigator. The G20, through the Financial Stability Board, set this up and and wanted something similar in the area of climate-related risk and opportunities disclosure. So that's where it actually came from. And the idea was this 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 would be established quickly, report quickly and offer corporations globally, a framework for reporting on climate-related risks and opportunities. Now, the Enhanced Disclosure Task Force operated very, very quickly, came out very quickly. The same ambition for the TCFD was there. It's probably been a little, little, little slower, but also, in my view, been quite quick in terms of what it's, what it's completed. Now, in the process of producing these disclosure recommendations, what the task force has tried to do is bring together preparers and users, industry-led, and it's deliberately excluded all the framework developers that are out there in sustainability reporting. They were, they, they were brought in, they were, they, were, they were allowed to present to the task force what they could offer, but then the task force went ahead. So you've got people like you know Unilever's uh, CFO, Graham uh, Pitkley, you've got Christian Taiman of AXA, you've got all sorts of key players in the investment community and the preparer community coming together to, to, to trash out and agree on an overall global framework. And what I've been doing in some of my work is actually studying the process through which they trash that framework out and how it's influenced recent developments. And how is it influencing the business community already, do you, do you think? The initial uptake of the framework was quite slow. Uh, the task force issues um, updates uh, annually regarding the uptake. And, 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 and it's, but slowly but surely it's seeping through. But what's happening now is that both the CSRD, this is the European Climate um, Disclosure Regulation, and the ISSB under the IFRS Foundation, their first, one of their first standards is a standard on climate-related risk disclosure. And those standards, both of them, are effectively, to a large degree, a replica of the TCFD. So, no, that's the point you're making, and I jumped in there, but TCFD is, 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 seems to be a sort of a primary uh, shaper of, of the market in this area, and you see this important, quite consequential legislation coming now as a result. Absolutely. I, I, what's actually happened is you, there are individuals who are, in, are involved in all of these initiatives, of course, and they're all drawing on their own experience with initiatives like the TCFD. But the TCFD is almost what we academics would call this, 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 this boundary object. It's actually... Bring, bring together a number of different frameworks, aligning them around a particular framework 
even though they're they're even though one is mandatory and the other is voluntary, and then offering this as a global means of reporting on climate related risks. It's been much more influential, I think, than many of the people in the TCFD anticipated it would be, given my conversations with them. So so it's so it's quietly seeping through. So we see we hear about the CSRD, we hear about the ISSB, they're starting with climate risk disclosure, but that climate risk disclosure is heavily influenced by the framework the TCFD has developed. And you said that you know you you, you run through a list of quite influential CFOs that have been part of that process, which is encouraging. But nonetheless, you know, bro- more broadly across across industry, the the uptick has been until now rather, rather slow. So, what would be your message, you know, to the wider CFO and indeed the wider business community around the importance of Take you know taking on the, the, this uh, this this particular disclosure and of course preparing properly for the regulation that's coming on. Um, there are a number of issues for CFOs right now, and in fact, I, I don't envy CFOs in having to take on this role. In some of my private conversations with CFOs, they actually say to me, Brendan, why me? Why do I have to deal with this new issue now in relation to the the the, the massive other issues around digitalization, etc.? I'm dealing with already. That's one thing. But CFOs, no, first of all, their issue is data quality of data. That's a huge issue in this area because now data is going to be externally published, fine, but it's going to be assessed. The European regulation will require limited assurance. So you, if data is going out, you want it to be reliable. And my research has shown that in many cases, the data sources and the systems producing data in the climate risk disclosure area, sustainability area, is, is insufficient. The, the, the systems are poor, um, the, the controls aren't, aren't particularly strong. And that's partly because, and I'm a, I have to be very open here, I'm a chartered accountant, so I might say this, that accountants haven't been heavily involved in developing those systems. So CFOs are now going to have to get sustainability teams to engage with their finance teams. And I'm studying some of this in, in some Dutch companies at the moment, that, that, that process. That's, no, that's one thing. But, 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 in terms of the regulation, there is an issue in that nothing is finalised yet. Uh, and so in developing the systems, I'm finding some companies are really struggling to understand exactly what sort of data they're going to need. I'll give you one example. You take scope three disclosures. Scope three disclosures are required by the TCFD if appropriate. Just explain to our listeners what scope three means, Brendan. We're talking about um, carbon emissions throughout your value chain. So, 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 all, so you're basically asked to report on all the emissions. So you've got a product, the production of the product, the sale of the product, the end point of the product. All the emissions along that chain, you need now to report to a large extent uh, in, under, the, under the regulation. You have an option with respect to that to some extent with uh, the um, TCFD and also uh, with the ISSB, although that, that's something I need to check up on. But the point here is getting that data, getting that information is an incredibly complex process. And many CFOs are concerned about that. And, and you'll see in all the um, uh, responses to the ISSB, responses to the CSRD, this is just one of the issues that, that's, that's concerning them. So data is, is particularly huge. Investor relations are going to change around this because of the risks that are now being seen to be embedded in certain uh, types of activities companies undertake. They're going to have to, de- to deal with supply chains in much, with what, in, much, in much greater detail and issues in supply chains as well. And also you've got to embed... You've got to embed within your organizations this consistent attitude to data that's quality oriented. 
So financial data and so-called sustainability data need to be in some way aligned in terms of their quality. And that, again, is a, is, is a very big issue in relation to what's actually happening um, in this area. But for CFOs, there's, there are a huge amount of issues, and not just in, in the broader realm, but also in terms of financial reporting. Listening to you, what I'm struck by is the centrality of some of these issues, not just for the ESG sustainability agenda, but much more broadly, because businesses, to be successful, um, even in the commercial venture, of course, they need good quality data, of course. To be successful, they need to have much better oversight of, of their global supply chains. Um, and so this becomes a rather fundamental issue. Get this right, um, you, you know, you get your business right across the board. Um, so it seems to me that that uh, alongside all of these very, very deep challenges that you talk about, um, there's a mindset challenge as well, perhaps, and not just for the CFO, but, but the CEO and the board as well, um, in, indeed of understanding the material significance, the centrality of getting this right. Where are mindset issues? I mean, you were talking about, we, we talk throughout this podcast series about promoting levels of responsible business, um, you know, calling for a more attitude, sea change maybe. What's your, if, when you look through the lens of what we've been talking about this morning, Brendan, what, do, you, do you see a positive shift in, in, in those attitudes and those sentiments and the approach to this, this, this general challenge? I think I do see... Um a shift which is related to the generations coming into the finance function in particular. Uh, there's a much greater interest and genuine concern for these issues among, say, a generation in their 20s and 30s. That's my experience of students. Now, you also have individuals who um, have absolutely no time whatsoever for any of these issues and will say to you, Brendan, you know, these are just issues we have to address to be in business. It's like, it's not, these aren't addendums. These aren't additions now. The, we're in business. This is a fact. I don't really care about these issues, but I care about my business. So if I care about my business, I've got to care about these issues. So that, that link is there. So it's not like this. I mean, you, 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 you've mentioned in your podcast before this notion of the purpose-led business. When many CFOs have said to me, brother, my purpose in this business is to stay in business and to thrive in business. And if these issues allow me to do so, then I, then, then I will embrace them. If regulation forces me to do so, then I will actually um, follow the regulations. So I, I would see a mindset change to some extent in the younger generation, in the generation of my vintage, I'm not so sure. But then again, that's my personal experience, Rob. I, I see a lot of um, expressions of concern. I read a lot of, I, I read a lot of um, uh, rather gushing concern for issues around sustainability. But sometimes when I look behind and uh, I suppose open the curtain, look in to the house and I see what's going on inside. Well, yeah, there's a lot of carbon being burnt in there in the kitchen and uh, with little care for the impacts more widely. So that's that's probably might be interpreted as a cynical perspective. It's not. It's just one that I see myself uh, in, in general. But I do think the mindset thing is more about if I want to be in business, if I want to thrive in business, I can't ignore these issues, not just because of regulation, because of societal and political trends and factors. And that's, that's a central issue I'm seeing. That's, that's the key point, isn't it? Across all the interviews that, that, that I've been having and I'm listening to you today, there's a question of, look, we've got to do this because regulation is demanding that we do. So it's, you know, it's, it's not that we have an option here, but we're doing it because it's, it's something that we just have to do as a cost of doing business so that we get on with our business. 
actually more and more people in my experience are actually seeing the, the positives of doing it as well not just avoiding a negative of getting into the bad books of regulators but seeing as you say if we if i want to have a sustainable business in the future then actually i need to change some of the fundamentals around this business in order to prosper in the future not just to please the regulator but in also to drive uh, a more sustainable and therefore a stronger commercially viable organization in the future and that's that's you know bringing us back to what we have here with it with the with the climate um the tcfd uh, disclosures um is there a sense perhaps maybe uh, trying to to find the sense of optimism here is there a sense that that, that this task force will will help to shape perhaps uh, a, a different a sea change in mentality is beginning to see that at the top of the shop, not just from the young, younger generation coming through. Are you hopeful? I am extremely hopeful as long as we remain critically aware of where it might go wrong, in that we become too accepting of claims and we don't engage our critical faculties enough. Um, that would be my view. Um, I, I actually fully agree with you because I see it with, among acquaintances of mine as well who work, say, in the construction industry, directors, and how they've moved towards sustainable buildings, etc. I see it in terms of uh, how the TCFD have made it very clear to frame their um, uh, recommendations around climate risks and opportunities. And not just to, to, to encourage, but actually with, with genuine um, examples of how that might arise. Um, and of course, you might, you might, you might uh, smile somewhat and say, well, industries are evolving from this very area. If we look at the, the so-called ESG investing industry under quite a lot of criticism and pressure right now, of course, the, um, that's, that's, that, that's a booming industry. But then if we look at the number of ESG funds that are out there, we, we have to ask that critical question. How many are actually... Uh, engaging in investments that would align with what you would think might be uh, sustainability uh, focused um, issues. And of course, that's that's a massive issue right now, which I won't get into because we'll need three more podcasts if we want to discuss that um, um, right now. Well, maybe I'll invite you back on, on a future podcast, um, Brendan. But for the moment, I want to thank you for um, wonderful insight that you've given us today. You talked about being hopeful, we can afford to be hopeful, providing we, re, we, we re retain this sense of critical thinking over what, what's really important. Well, that's exactly the value, perhaps, of sustainability accounting in, in this case. And thank you for describing it so well today and sending the message maybe to the wider CFO and business community about the importance of getting this right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rob. So greenwashing, the term that calls out those companies who say a lot about their commitments on climate change, but do much less about it in practice. Keeping the business community honest on this point and promoting the levels of transparency needed to inspire confidence in the wider sustainability agenda requires independent oversight, critical thinking, yes, you heard it here, and good accounting practices. Brendan O'Dwyer has been at the heart of studying and promoting the best international standards in this area for many years. This includes in relation to the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, a significant new global benchmark that is setting the regulatory and business agenda on sustainability reporting. It's clear the influence TCFD and associated regulation is having already on business practices and priorities. Implementation challenges over data quality and other issues are considerable, but encouraging signs are emerging that companies are committed to getting this right as part of a sea change in attitudes on sustainability. 
What's at stake is not only the need to stay on the right side of regulators, but the opportunity to chart a successful, more sustainable future for the business. Sustainability accounting, therefore, may prove to be much more than a tool to police bad behaviour. It may become the key to a new generation of more responsible businesses. Thank you for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune into our next episode. Please review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app or whatever popular podcast app you're using. And find out more on Deloitte.nl. See you next time.